A traditional native sense of self may find a relentless focus on self as alien, disquieting, undesirable, or unnecessary. Welcome to NVC Life. I'm Rochelle Lamb, veteran NVC trainer and relationship coach, helping listeners navigate interpersonal conflict and ground more deeply into relational living. Greetings, fellow humans. This past weekend, September 30th, marked the Day of Truth and Reconciliation here in Canada where I live, though it should be noted that my passport, even though it says I live in Canada, I live in the unceded traditional territories of the Lekwungen peoples and the Songhees, Esquimalt, and Husainich First Nations. And if I were to properly introduce myself and acknowledge my familial and ancestral lineage in the manner that Indigenous peoples the world over have done for thousands of years as a way of stating their place of belonging within the sacred web of relatedness, I would tell you that I am a descendant of the Irish and Welsh people on my mother's side and of the European French on my father's side. And if I were to speak of my matrilineal lineage in order to recognize that the ovum that eventually became me and was already fully developed in my mother's infant body when she was curled up within her own mother's womb before being birthed, I'd probably tell you that since my Irish grandmother's name was O'Mahony, which derives from the Gaelic O'Mahuna, meaning bear, that I am a descendant of the Bear Clan. What this might possibly mean beyond that is a mystery to me. And in saying this, I encounter a sorrow within myself, which I have to contend with increasingly each time I'm exposed to Indigenous teachings and history. It's common practice for Indigenous people, at least where I live, when introducing themselves to state their name then name their parents, grandparents, ancestors, and lands. This is a marked contrast from most non-Indigenous people who typically introduce themselves by stating their name, and depending on the context, they might add something about their achievements and or what they're seeking. Deep kinship ties to land, ancestors, and family very rarely make it into the introduction. I suspect It's because of how much importance we non-Indigenous people place on being self-defined. More on that later. Back to September 30th, which also, by the way, was my 66th birthday. And however strange this might sound, I look back at how many episodes I've produced since I launched this podcast in July of 2022, and it so happens that this is the 66th episode. So how serendipitous is that? For me, at least, the confluence of the Day of Truth and Reconciliation with my 66th birthday and this 66th episode is a pretty big deal. And for anyone who's listened to some of my earlier episodes, you'll know that I keep making a case for examining the ways in which we have become masters of separation and disconnection, 
And instead of continuing to perpetuate the disease of separation, I hope people will feel compelled to begin the hard work of becoming relational, and not just with each other, but with all of life. In the early years of meeting Marshall Rosenberg, I gifted him with a best-selling book titled Returning to the Teachings, Exploring Aboriginal Justice by Canadian author Rupert Ross. Marshall later let me know that he deeply appreciated reading it. And I thought it would be timely to share an excerpt from another of Ross's books titled Indigenous Healing, Exploring Traditional Paths. Retired assistant Crown Attorney for Kenora, Ontario, Rupert Ross served as criminal prosecutor for fly-in First Nation communities in northwestern Ontario for 26 years. He's an expert in the study and practice of restorative justice. Ross has worked with Canada's Aboriginal Justice Directorate of the Federal Department of Justice, where he traveled the country exploring the Indigenous insistence that justice should center upon healing relationships. He has assisted the First Nations and Inuit Health Branch of Health Canada with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the National Native Alcohol and Drug Addiction Program, investigating Indigenous approaches to individual, family, and community healing. In the process, he gained a deeper understanding of the intergenerational impact of colonization with special reference to the residential school system. And now here from his book, The Definition of a Healthy Person. Following that from the spiritual connection with all aspects of creation, human beings are recognized as fundamentally the sum of all their relationships within creation whether with other people, birds, animals, trees, rocks, or rivers. A healthy person is thus someone who understands that he is a nested component of that complex web of interconnections, who acknowledges fundamental dependence upon them, who is aware that he has been given significant responsibilities within those responsibilities, and who is determined to fulfill them as best he can. His self-interest is perhaps better understood as his other or all interest. That vision is deeply embedded in Aboriginal languages, practices, ceremonies, and psyches. Western therapies promoting individual self-definition, self-assertion, and self-promotion will feel improper to Aboriginal people and may be met with pronounced resistance. Carol Hopkins spoke to that issue at one of the National Native Alcohol and Drug Abuse Program's renewal forums, stressing that in Aboriginal understandings of healing, the client is the individual plus his or her family and community. She also identified a treatment goal as seeking reconnection to family and others. In the same vein, the Director of Treatment Facility for Solvent-Sniffing Aboriginal Youth, Deborah Dell, explained that their wishes for a life post-treatment revolve around connection with family, with other people, and the land. I contrast this with how Judith Herman sees the goal of Western therapy. And this particular quote is from Herman's book, Trauma and Recovery. The community activists Evan Stark and Anne Flitcraft state as their therapeutic goal with battered women the restoration of autonomy and empowerment. They define autonomy as a sense of separateness, flexibility, and self-possession sufficient to define one's self-interest and make significant choices, while empowerment is the convergence of mutual support with individual autonomy.
Ross goes on. In my view, Aboriginal healers would not support a sense of separateness sufficient to define one's self-interest as a successful healing outcome. In fact, the opposite is more likely. Recall that I mentioned the contrasting hierarchies within creation, where the Western hierarchy puts humans at the top in place to rule everything else, while the Aboriginal hierarchy puts them at the bottom as the most dependent creature in creation. As a result, the first responsibility people have is to establish good spiritual relations with everything else, making accommodations at every turn to accomplish the greatest health of everything. But if Aboriginal people see life as an interconnected bundle of responsibilities, Western psychology sees instead a collection of autonomous rights against all other life forms. It seeks the creation of individual attributes like autonomy, initiative, competence, and identity, while Aboriginal healers seek relational values like openness, sharing, humility, and respect. Aboriginal healing thus helps to establish healthy reconnections to family, community, and all of creation. Dr. Kermeyer speaks about the impact of that interconnected view on the structure of therapy. And here's the quote from Kiermaier. The cultural concept of the person that underwrites most forms of psychotherapy is based on Euro-American values of individualism. This individualistic and egocentric concept of the person can be contrasted with more sociocentric, ecocentric, or cosmocentric views, which understand the person in relation to the social world, the environment, and the cosmos. Power and status are measured not by the individual's mastery of the environment, but by his ability to calmly acquiesce and adjust to a shifting world. Dependency may be viewed as a sign of relatedness and acknowledgement of the importance of others from whom one draws self-worth. The value of the person lies not in his uniqueness or separateness, but in his relatedness to a larger social entity. Ross continues, Western and Aboriginal therapies thus have different, if not contradictory, goals. That may explain why Western therapies are often met with pronounced resistance, and he means within the Indigenous community. I think it's worth repeating how Joe Couture articulated that difference. A traditional Native sense of self may find a relentless focus on self as alien, disquieting, undesirable, or unnecessary. Rather, a general Aboriginal self is one of an embedded, enfolded, sociocentric self. Native mind is therefore a mind in relational activity, a mind in community. And Ross finishes with, In my view, it is only natural to expect that a different definition of a healthy person will require different healing approaches built upon different kinds of teachings. I think that excerpt pretty much speaks for itself. I'm hoping that you notice the enormous difference between being embedded within a larger community as opposed to being primarily concerned with being able to define oneself apart from others. Attending the powwow that was held here this past weekend, I couldn't help but notice that every time Indigenous people spoke between the drumming and dances, they consistently spoke about 
the place they belong to, to their ancestors. The word ancestors was used with every speaker. The word land was used. The word family was used. The word community was used. And this is how Indigenous people speak about themselves. And for me, the contrast between being at the powwow and being at any other communal event where non-Indigenous people gather, it's so evident. And in my own work of teaching nonviolent communication, I urge people to start to make those kinds of connections, which surely are part of our own inheritance. While we would not call ourselves Indigenous, because Indigenous means to be from a place, even though we can become caretakers if we're willing to learn about the place and what it requires and asks of us. The thing we need to remember, though, is that while we are not Indigenous, we come from Indigenous people. We come from people who did belong to a place. And so we would carry inside of us, hopefully, some form of memory. And perhaps I could theorize that the way the memory shows up is in our yearning for things to be other than how they are, because it's easy to look around and see that, wow, it's, it's a bit crazy out there. And young people can feel so adrift. Anyone can feel adrift. Elders or older people feel adrift because we've lost that sense of continuum, which establishes itself by virtue of being connected, by having generations and traditions connected to each other. So we've lost that. And instead of pretending that that's not the case and that we have answers or that we have psychology to help us, sure, that's there. But to be able to turn to where we actually come from, to where the roots are, this is something that I think can offer tremendous healing for all of us and a way to remember what being whole and being human asks of us. There is, of course, so much more to say on this subject, to reflect on, but I will finish with this quote from Chief Seattle, one I'm sure that listeners have heard before. Humankind has not woven the web of life. We are but one thread within it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. All things are bound together. All things connect. And that, my friends, is being relational. Thank you for tuning into NBC Life. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. For free resources or to book a private session with me, head over to rochellelam.com. Until the next time, stay sane, grateful, and generous. Mm-hmm.